Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Joe. Uh, let's, let's pray, and then we'll jump into God's Word. Father, thank you for a new day, another Sunday where we get to worship you freely, where we are reminded of what Jesus has done for us, where the Holy Spirit is present among us. And Lord, we are expectant this morning that you're going to speak to us as your Word is proclaimed. Lord, we're excited about what you're doing in the church presently and what you want to do in the future. Lord, we pray that this message would, would stir us all to have confidence in you and your work among us and give us great joy that we get to, to play a part uh, in serving you and serving your people and serving your kingdom and in reaching the lost. And we pray we would be effective in all those areas by the power of your Spirit. And uh, I just ask for help as I preach your word today, and ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, if you were here last Sunday, uh, last Sunday was Mark's final Sunday, Mark Altrogi's final Sunday as a paid full-time pastor. He officially has retired, and so after serving this church for 37 years, um, Mark has retired. Well... For Bob and I, Bob Mundorf and I, we have, we have been fielding a number of questions from, from many of you in the last uh, week or two. And today's message is hopefully an attempt to answer some of those questions. Some of the questions that, that uh, we have heard are, are questions like this. What, what does it mean for the future of Saving Grace Church? Who will the next senior or lead pastor be? What in the world does it mean that Mark is retired but still going to be an elder or pastor in the church? Will you be hiring another pastor? What are pastoral candidates? Why do you have so many deacons? Will you and Bob burn out? Um, With so much emphasis on elders and deacons, what about the average church member? Do we not have a, a role to play in the church? And so a number of questions like that and probably others that you might have in mind have have come to mind and and I think they're out of a genuine care and concern for this church, which is awesome. I'm not going to answer those questions right now, but Lord willing, as we go through the message, I think you'll hear the answer to many, if not all, of those questions. And where I want to begin this morning is, is, is to remind us of whose church this is and why we can be very confident that Saving Grace Church is in good hands. And I'm not talking about my hands or Bob's hands or any other leader's hands. Because the title of this message is also the first point. The church, so the church universal and the church local, bought, protected, kept, and grown by God. The church, God's people, throughout all the world and then expressed in local groups, local congregations, has been bought, protected, kept and grown by God. And so when people ask me, are you excited about the future of this church? Are you confident in the future of this church? My answer would be yes. And the reason I can say yes is because this church belongs to Jesus Christ. This is not our church. This is his church. He's the one who started this local congregation in the late 70s. He's the one who has kept this congregation throughout the decades, and he's the one who's going to continue to keep us. Last Sunday when Mark preached, 
Uh, He read this scripture from Matthew 16. And I'll just pick up in, in verse 16. It says, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So the, the question was, who, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you're, you're the Christ. You're the promised Messiah. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And this is the verse that Mark emphasized. And I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. This is Jesus Christ talking. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's one word in this verse that's two letters that is the most important part of this section. And it's the word my. The church, universal and every expression locally, belongs to Jesus Christ. It is His. He came to earth to purchase it. And so, we follow Him. We trust in Him. We pray to Him. We look to Him because the church is His. He deeply loves His people. He is so committed to us, both as a group, let's say Saving Grace Church, and as a whole, Christians throughout the world, and as individuals. He cares for you deeply. He loves you deeply. Listen to what um, is recorded in the book of Acts Chapter 20, verse 28. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. Paul knows he's about to die. And he's giving them some final instructions. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Now listen to this phrase. Which he obtained with his own blood. This church, every true Christian church, has been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. It is precious to God. God the Father gave up His only perfect, innocent Son for us. So there could be churches throughout the land so that God would have a people for His own. One way to think about it is, you know, some of you may own some valuable things. Some of you may have rare antiques or rare things that have been passed down from generation to generation. But none of you have something as costly as God's church. God's church is the most costly thing in the world. It costs the blood of God, of Jesus Christ Himself. So Jesus is so fiercely committed to the people that he shed his blood for. And Jesus is the head of the church. He's in charge of the church. He's the the captain of the church. Uh, A very familiar marriage passage in Ephesians 5 captures this idea. Oftentimes when we read this, I think we think probably more about what it says towards marriage and we miss the, the main idea, which is about Jesus. So this is Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. 
As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. We've taught in this passage in context of marriage. I'm not going to touch that today. Um, But what's really clear from this passage is Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of the church universal. He's the head of the church local. He is the head. He's the one we answer to. He's the one we worship. He's the one we bow down to. He's the one we follow. Jesus has taken this local church on many twists and turns over the years. And we're following Him. We're pledging our allegiance to Him. Now one of the questions that I've received the most of in this last week is in regards to the idea of a senior pastor or a lead pastor. Who's it going to be? Is it going to be you, Joe? Is it going to be Bob? Is it going to be somebody else? Who is it going to be? And in fact, I was at the Y this week on Friday. Walked right into the Y. And the very first thing that someone said to me was a woman working at the desk. She said, oh, I heard Mark retired. Are you going to be the next senior pastor? Are you going to lead the church? So I gave her a very short answer at first. And I said, no, no, I'm not. And then um, I tried to briefly explain, we are not going to have a senior pastor. And those of you who are members, we've talked about this um, at several members' meetings, is we are not convinced that the senior lead pastor model is in the Bible or is a healthy way to go for us as a local church. Now, I'm not making a judgment across the board that I think there's freedom in Scripture for churches to be built that way. But I think it I think it has more problems, at least from our vantage point, than it does benefit. And one of the Scriptures that helps me think about this is in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. And Peter writes, And when the chief shepherd, that word shepherd is the same word that's translated pastor. So it's just an interchanging word. So you could say, and it'd be accurate, when the chief pastor appears, when the lead pastor appears, when the senior pastor appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Well, who are they talking about there? Who's Peter talking about? Is it some super chief pastor hidden for the ages? No, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is to be the head of the church. He's to be the lead. He's to be the senior representative. He's the one that we follow as under shepherds. And this really has been the way we have been pastoring for the last several years. As we have studied this, as we um, left a group of churches that we are part of, that many of you are aware of, we began to just study this subject and look at it in, in detail. And we're convinced that for this local church, it's much healthier for us to operate in a plurality of pastors, meaning having more than one, and sharing the weight of responsibility. And I believe that is, is taught clearly in the Bible. And the second point, we're going to get into that more. But Jesus is the head pastor. He's the lead. He's the one we follow. Let me just say one other, few other thoughts about the senior pastor. Here would be some of the, the things that we have discussed and prayed about in the last few years. We, we think that 
A strong lead senior pastor model has some inherent dangers. And if you study or follow uh, Christianity Today, um, you can see the pastors that have been devoured in this model. So they're responsible for their sin. But with this model of a strong lead and everybody else follows, comes a very strong temptation to pride. And a very strong temptation to think that they are somehow unique among even the pastors that they serve with. And that's not all the guys, but it's particularly a lot of guys my age who have crashed and burned. And, um, and we also think it, it's harmful to the church because I think a strong, gifted senior pastor accelerates numeric growth probably really fast. Gets everybody going a direction really fast. And also implodes the church really fast if they crash and burn or go somewhere else. And so we want the church to be focused and built on Jesus and led by a group of humble, called, godly pastors. Some paid, some non-paid. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Um, But the point is, we're not going to go that way any longer. And we really haven't been functioning that way for a while. And I'll get into a little bit more detail in the, the next point. But what I want you to think about under this point is we follow Jesus Christ. We follow Jesus Christ. Your pastors follow Jesus Christ. You all follow Jesus Christ. And Jesus promises to watch over us and protect us. Listen to what Jesus says in John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. That word shepherd and pastor, it's the same word. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Think about this. Jesus, crucified, buried, risen from the grave. He's the one watching over the church. And He gave the Holy Spirit to be among us, with us, and in us, and present. And so, our confidence in our individual lives and as a church has to be, must be, in Jesus Christ alone. This should encourage us. This should encourage you. If you have concerns about this local church or any local church that you're a part of, talk to Jesus about it. He can do things a lot faster than maybe you or I can do things. He can move and shake and, and change things for the positive. And we see that throughout church history. Jesus' name and Jesus' church will always prevail. Even in centuries where the church went underground, it, it emerges. The Reformation happened. And the church came out shining and swinging and making disciples because Jesus is in charge. So under this same idea, church growth and multiplication should come from the Lord. Healthy church growth and multiplication should come from the Lord. I'm going to qualify this a little bit. It doesn't mean there's strategies are wrong. Um, but listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. See, in the Corinthian church, they were, they were wearing their t-shirts of their favorite apostles. They were following certain men 
at times, and Paul wanted to adjust them. He said, verse 7, So it's neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Paul really believed this. But only God who gives growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. Each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, your God's field, God's building. And so the emphasis there is the church belongs to the Lord and the Lord will grow the church. Now we live in the day and age of the celebrity pastor and many marketing schemes. I I don't know what I signed up for for my email things, but I get emails all the time that are in the celebrity pastor category, not not asking me to be one because I'm not, but telling us about the greatest celebrity pastors and what they're doing and church growth and marketing schemes. Now there are many godly celebrity pastors and there are strategies and, and let's call them marketing strategies that can be good and right and effective at reaching the lost. But the concern is we never want to put our trust and our confidence in a certain person or a certain system or strategy. We want to work hard. We want to be faithful. But at the end of the day, we want to trust the growth, both individually of our spiritual growth and our numerical growth and the health of the church to the Lord Himself. And so we want to go to Him and ask Him, help us, give us wisdom, give us grace, give us boldness. And if you read the book of Acts, the thing that the Lord responded to the most in the book of Acts is his people praying. So they prayed. The room was shaken. They prayed. The Spirit was poured out. They prayed and the church multiplied. So we want to be a praying church. We're going to try strategies. We have tried strategies. We'll continue to try strategies. But we're going to put our confidence in the chief of the church, Jesus Christ. So, as you think about this local church, and you think about the future of this local church, you should be really encouraged if all this is true, which it is, that Jesus is leading the church. Jesus is directing the church. Now, this may raise some questions in your mind. So, does this mean, like, Joe, is this a little hyper-spiritual? Does this mean we shouldn't do anything? I think there's a a country song that has a line in it like, let Jesus take the wheel. Is that, is that what you're saying? No, I'm not saying that either. Which brings us to the second point. The church entrusted to faithful and qualified pastors and deacons. So I want to talk a little bit about our church structure. The offices of the church. The ones that are clearest in the New Testament that remain, and there's a lot of instruction about, are elders and deacons. We'd understand the office of elder to be interchanged with pastor, bishop, shepherd, oversight. They're just different words used to describe the same office. And so at times we will use the word pastor, elder. At times in our local church we we have the phrase now non-vocational. That just means they volunteer as pastors. They're called men, but they're, they're volunteers. Mark is now a non-paid elder in the church. And deacons, we would understand, are the servants of the church. And in our local context in Saving Grace Church, 
they, they all oversee certain areas of the church. And by them serving, it frees us up to preach God's Word, to counsel, to equip, to make disciples, to do the work that God has called us to do. So let me just read a couple verses, and then we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more. In Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers, you could say pastors, elders, and deacons. So Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. He specifically wants to draw attention to the overseers and the deacons. And then in 1 Timothy 3, we get very clear instruction on what qualifies someone to be an elder, pastor, and a deacon. So listen as I read through this. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone desires to the office of overseer, pastor, elder, bishop, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. I mean, there shouldn't be anything that can be said about a pastor of a church that's true that calls into question his character. Must be the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So that whole section is qualifications about an elder. And the emphasis isn't in this section so much on what they do. There's one thing they have to do in this section. They have to be able to teach but the truckload of qualifications is on what kind of person they are. Are they a godly man? Not a perfect man, but a godly man who has evidence of the Lord working and changing and producing character in their life. Same thing for deacons. Look at verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, They must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience and let them be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons. If they prove themselves blameless, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, manage their children and their own households well. For those who serve as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that's in Christ Jesus. Now this might seem like a lot of information, and maybe for some it's like, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that God has gone to great lengths to set up a structure for local churches that His people are to be cared for. And God's emphasis is far more on the quality of the person than their abilities. 
We live in a day and an age, even in church circles, where gifts and ability among certain gifted preachers gets way elevated over the character of the man. That is not what this passage teaches, both for the pastor and for the deacons. And I want you to see it as it's God's care for the church to have qualified, in-character people responsible, delegated authority by Jesus himself, but responsible for the church. And we take these qualifications very seriously. We talk about all kinds of things among ourselves. We hold each other accountable. We pray for each other. We confess sin to one another because we want to continue to meet these standards. These standards are not just the entry point for someone to be a pastor or be a deacon. they got to meet these qualifications the whole way. And we believe that. We are committed to that. So let's just talk a little bit about things that maybe you already know. But Jesus entrusts the leadership and care of the church to faithful pastors or shepherds. Probably most accurately to think of it is we are under shepherds. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He has called us to be under shepherds. So we're called to lead and care for the church. And the Bible gives specific instructions of what that should be like and what it shouldn't be like. Look at 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. See, we're called to watch over God's people. Not our people. God's people. And maybe something else to keep in mind is before we're pastors, we're fellow sheep. We're followers of Christ. We're nothing special. But we've been called to this, what the Bible says, this noble task. And I know there are a few farmers in the room, but probably the majority of us are not farmers. Maybe some of you grew up in a farm. Uh, But the idea of shepherding, pastoring, is throughout the Bible. And like I said earlier, the word shepherd and pastor, they really can be interchanged. But it's one of the most helpful analogies to understand what God calls pastors to do. So let's just talk about a physical shepherd. What does a physical shepherd do? They watch over the flock. They lead the flock to green pastures, like Psalm 23 says. They, they watch over the diet to make sure the sheep are healthy. They check and examine the physical fitness of the sheep. If one is falling behind and looking like they're in trouble or sick or vulnerable, they're to go back and circle around and even leave the whole group out of care. The shepherd is to prevent the the sheep from falling off a cliff, diving headlong into sin, getting entangled in briars and bruised and beaten. The, the, The shepherd is to watch out for wolves that will come in to destroy Christians, 
And you see that this is not a glamorous calling. I think the celebrity pastor makes it look like something it's not. All a pastor really is, is a spiritual farmer. Um, it's one way to look at it, that we're called to a specific task, just like all of you are called to a specific task. And, and we're just called to watch over under the Lord with this book as our guide by the power of the Holy Spirit to watch over God's people. And the way God set it up in the New Testament is it's best done in plurality, best done with others who are qualified as well. So Titus says, This is why I left you in Crete, that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Notice that S on the end of elders, that means it's plural, more than one. Acts 14, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So plural again. Acts 20. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church to come in. So I've been a pastor here in this church for 12 years. I've been a member of this church for 20 years. And during that time we have had pastor, other pastors and pastoral interns. So my starting point was with Dave Brewer as a pastoral intern. And then Steve Murphy for 10 years. Tom Kurtz was a pastor here for a while. Stephen Altrogi, been a pastor here for a while. Mark Altrogi. And then for the last six years, Bob has joined our pastoral staff as well. Presently, we have two pastors in training, Dave Marshall and Jason Rummel. And as I've interacted with other pastors, I went to a pastor's college. So a lot of those men are pastors. I have friends that are pastors in different places in the world. What I've noticed is there can be a wide array of gifts and abilities among called pastors. Some called gifted pastors are really good at expositing and explaining God's Word. Some are really gifted at evangelism. Some are really good at oversight. Some are really good at one-on-one pastoral care. And so this whole range of gifts and abilities is, I think, why it's best, if possible, to have a plurality. So if you would interview me, Bob Mundorf, Mark Altrogi, Dave Marshall, and Jason Rummel, and just ask us pastorally, what do you gravitate towards the most? We would all have different answers to that question, all under the scope of what God calls us to do. But isn't that so much healthier to have a group of men who are submitted to one another, who will sharpen one another, than to just have one person driving in a certain strong direction. So if you could sit in on our pastoral meetings, what you would see is we often disagree with one another. We do it in a loving way. We duke it out biblically, theologically, strategically. Um, And what you'll see is oftentimes our our gifts, our areas of strength come to the surface there. And then we are committed to loving one another, deferring to one another. And when it's not a major decision, oftentimes one person ends up not having their preferences met. That is good. That is right. That is healthy. We do that in all other relationships. We should do that pastorally as well. So we believe in a plurality of pastors, and please pray. Pray for Jason and Dave. They are in this 
year-long process exploring if God's calling them to be non-vocational pastors here. Lord willing, we'd have many more guys that the Lord would add over the years. And that, Lord willing, one day we could plant churches and start other churches where there's a need. So pray for that. Let me say one other thing about pastors. And then the part I want to get to the most is coming up. Pastors are nothing special. We are sinners saved by grace just like every other Christian. The Bible would say we are unworthy servants. Luke 17, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. We believe that with all our hearts. You all are called to do other things. You all have jobs and you you have things you're responsible for. This is just what we're called to do. We want to fight and we fight hard against elevating pastors to a place that, that God doesn't want us to be, that we think is dangerous. It's one of the reasons that we go by our first names, just like you go by your first names in your occupation or vocation. We're grateful that God has called us and we take our, our tasks seriously. But at the end of the day, we're unworthy servants doing what God has called us to do. Moving on. So God calls pastors to lead the church under Jesus and he establishes deacons. I'm just going to describe Acts 6 rather than read it for time's sake. But the office of deacon, we believe, was established in Acts 6. Take a look at it on your own. There was a dispute among minority widows. It was very sensitive. It was very loaded, very charged. And what the apostles noticed is it was taking them away from making disciples, preaching God's word, and praying. So the Lord told them to choose seven men filled with the Holy Spirit to serve and help out in that situation. And in turn, what happens right after Acts 6 is the church then explodes again numerically as the apostles are set free to preach God's word. That really is the function of deacons as we see it in the New Testament. It's a service role that, that takes responsibility for areas of the church that frees us up. Right now we have seven men who are deacons and two more that are deacon candidates and they serve in very significant ways throughout the church. Got to where I wanted to get to. So the final point. One of the questions that's come up in the last few months is it's come in different forms but what about I mean it's a basically a what about us question it's a fair question Joe if you just described elders and deacons and let's say at most we have 17 elders and deacons counting candidates um, that's still percentage wise is a very small percentage of the whole church what about us what's our role are we just to sit back and wave and cheer what about us Glad you asked. Point three, the church called, gifted, and empowered by the Holy Spirit to make disciples. The church, you, anyone who has called on Jesus Christ, you are the church. You have been called by Jesus. You have been gifted by Jesus. You have a mission mandated by Jesus Christ. Romans 12 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith, 
that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, so he's using the human body as an illustration, and the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us. Literally means grace gifts. God gave you gifts. Gave you. Put your name first and last. Gave you gifts. And he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. God gifted you so that you could use your gifts for him. God gifted you. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now this list, this gift list is not exhaustive. There are other lists in the New Testament. The point is, God intends for you to be an active part of a local church. We hope it's this local church. We need you. You have gifts and abilities that are unique to you. And you might think, I'm not sure what those things are. They're the things that you gravitate towards the most, and they're usually the things you get most frustrated at when you see the lack of that gift. So if you are administratively minded, you crawl to your skin when you see a lack of administration. If you are outreach and evangelism oriented, you crawl to your skin when you see things that are working against that. If you have a lot of faith, you may crawl your skin when you hear a lot of doubt. That's often because God has gifted you. Now this church started in 1978, and we had a, a thing for Mark on the Saturday before last Sunday, and then Mark preached his sermon last Sunday, and there were a number of you, and you're here this morning, that were in those first early meetings. There are some of you that came in in the early 80s, in the mid-80s, in the 90s, and I came in in the late 90s. I want you to hear loud and clear that we need you. We are glad that you are here, particularly long-term members. Your service in the church, I don't want you to look back and think, well, I used to do this, but now I'm no longer wanted and needed. I, I don't really have a place anymore. That is not how I see it. That is not how we see it. That is not how the Lord sees it. We want you to be active in using your gifts and ability. One of the challenges I think at times is maybe we get too excited and emphasize new people and we forget. Wow, there have been faithful servants for decades and decades. And you know who you are and the Lord knows who you are and I believe one of the things the Lord wants to do for you is give you a fresh vision and desire and stirring to serve in the church with the gifts and abilities that you have. And don't always think of serving in the church as formal. We do formal things and we need lots of help there. For example, we want to do our 4th of July outreach. We need somebody to lead that. If you have a desire to do that, please talk to us. We need help with that one. But there are ways to serve God's people behind the scenes. There are ways to do it formally and informally. Use your gifts. The thing that Misha talked about this morning, the dig in thing, 
was just an idea that Misha and her husband Andrew and Eric and Christy Huff had at their fellowship group one night. They threw an email together, said, hey, here's an idea. Can we do it? We talked it through, and they're doing it. They're just using their gifts and desires to make things happen. I really believe the Lord wants to stir the, the baby boomer generation in the church too. Now, you may be here for the first Sunday and fall into that group, or you may have been here for decades. But one of the things is I pray about the church, and I pray um, just, Lord, what do you want to do? I am absolutely convinced that those of you, you can put yourself in that age group. It's a nicer way than saying the older people in the church, the baby boomers. I'm Generation X, there's millennials here. But the baby boomers... God is not done with you. There are many good works that God has in store for you. Every week I meet with Cynthia Snyder, Bonnie Arife, Craig Heiberger, and then Kevin Kabika, who's a little bit younger than me. But those three would fall into the baby boomer generation. We do a Bible study for men and women struggling with addiction. And there is ministry happening and ministry happening outside of that, and ministry happening in the church, that they are serving and working hard to make disciples. They have experience. They have life experience. They have wisdom. They have faith. And they have a hunger for Jesus Christ that is contagious. So Bonnie and Cynthia also go to a local rehab and meet with women every week. They go to the jail and meet with women um, regularly as well. They're just going for it and making disciples. That's what we want a whole church like that. Now some of you may be much more service oriented. We, there's lots of ways to help one another. Uh, the Mercy Ministry team is regularly helping people in the church. And so those of you who are skilled and gifted, there are practical, helpful ways you can use your gifts. But I want you to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray Lord, where would you have me serve in this church? If you call this church home, whether you're a member or not, ask the Lord that question. Where would you have me to serve? And may we be a praying church, all of us. Please pray for this church, pray for this area, pray for revival, but use your gifts. So every Christian has a part to play. And every Christian is called to be an active member of a local church. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider to st- how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As a pastor, as pastors, we often hear people in the church say, I, I just feel disconnected from the church. I don't, I don't feel relationally connected. And we, we feel bad about that. We don't want that to be. But one thing, often, not always, at times, when people say that, they're not always going to stuff at the church. And so one encouragement I would have for all of us is, in any way possible, go to church meetings. Go to Sunday Go to fellowship group. This summer we're going to do equip classes um, nine weeks in Wednesday. We're going to have everybody together. We're going to have a time of worship, a time of teaching, a time of hanging out. The whole purpose is to connect us as brothers and sisters. Go to it. 
You'll be surprised. As you go to things more often, you'll begin to talk to people. As you talk to people, you won't feel as disconnected and you'll get to know one another. And every Sunday, Lord, by the grace of God, we have new people coming. So be on the lookout for new people. But we're to stir one another up and that happens best when we're together with one another. Every Christian called to be an active member of a local church. Every Christian is called to play our part in the Great Commission. You know it. We are called to make disciples. We believe that's the whole of us. And so I just want to wrap up. The reason we should be confident for this church primarily is because it is bought, protected, kept, and grown by Jesus Christ alone. Let me read one final verse from the book of Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Let's stand and pray and and the worship team can come up. Father, we pray, Holy Spirit, Fill us as we sing this song. Give us faith. Stir us. Lord, build this local church into the expression of your bride that you desire it to be. Lord, help us to be more like you. Help us to experience the joy that you intend for us. Help us to be radiant. Help us to be alive with your Spirit, with the fruits of the Spirit, with the gifts of the Spirit, with the presence of the Spirit. Lord, would you do many mighty things in, uh, in this time of, of the church. And we will give you all the glory and praise and honor and worship that you deserve. And Lord, help us to just know our place to serve in the church. Lord, we ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.